0: You know, we live in a, a time, especially it seems more so than normal, but in seasons where uh, there seems to all be great fear uh, surrounding us and surrounding our culture. And, uh, um, you know, fear is a real emotion. It's a God-given emotion. Uh, you know, if you didn't fear uh, certain things, you would be harmed and hurt, right? So there's not necessarily fear it's uh, like a lot of emotions, it's how they're, uh, they're placed in the context, but fear is a real emotion and different for each person, and uh, each of us have different uh, fears that I guess uh, whether I'm not sure who names these things, various phobias, some of these phobias uh, uh, you are familiar with. Uh, Arachnophobia, that's not a fear of traveling to Iraq, but it's arachnophobia, a fear of what? Spiders. Uh, My wife has severe arachnophobia. Uh, Acrophobia, the fear of heights, the fear of heights. Uh, Agoraphobia, the fear of situations in which escape is difficult. I get agoraphobia every time I get on a plane. Um, Sino or Sinophobia, the fear of dogs. Here's one that I think is current, if I can pronounce it. Trypanophobia, the fear of injections. Some of you have the fear of injections. But here's some more uncommon phobias that I thought were interesting. I think one of my children had this phobia, uh... A blutophobia, it's the fear of bathing. Now, I I confess I've had this one all through junior high and high school. Arithmophobia, the fear of arithmetic, math. I should have used that with my parents to say I had a medical condition why I got uh, bad grades. Globophobia is the fear of balloons. So, some of you... Here's one that I, I uh, identify with, uh, clergy forgetia phobia. <laughs> it's the fear of forgetting your sermon notes on Sunday. Now, that, I just made that one up, but I, I thought it should be on the list anyway. But fear, uh, whatever it is, and we don't want to make light of it, because there's some real fears that people do struggle with. And today, as we look at the Psalms, we're going to look at Psalm 27 today, and I invite you to turn your Bible, and the title of today's message is Overcoming Fear, Overcoming Fear. Psalm 27, Overcoming Fear. David is a tremendous counselor to the believer on many things, and, and, and fear is one that is real, and anyone who has struggled with any sort of fear, regardless of whatever it is, and as I said, today especially we live in a time in which it seems to be heightened, uh, the various fears uh, that are around us, that you know that once you kind of overcome it, it doesn't take long before it comes back in. One, one person said you can, you can bar the door, but fear somehow finds a way through the window. And it's something that the believer... Is encouraged to overcome the unplaced fears that at times can debilitate and uh, hinder just uh, our faith and our walk with the Lord in our day to day life. And so, Psalm 27 this morning, we're not going to read it at once here at the beginning, but we'll read it as we kind of walk through and making. Three observations in Psalm 27 this morning in God's Word. And I want you to notice with me these three directives that uh, from this Psalm of David in overcoming fear. Number one, the believer's affirmation in times of fear. The believer's affirmation in times of fear in verses one through three that we are encouraged to seek the Lord in times of fear, or in a time of fear, by affirming your faith and trust in God alone. Look with me at verses 1 through 3 of Psalm 27, the Lord is my light and my salvation, whom shall I fear? The Lord is the stronghold of my life, of whom shall I be afraid? When evildoers assail me to eat up my flesh, my adversaries and foes, it is they who stumble and fall. Verse 3. Though an army encamp against me, my heart shall not fear. Though war arise against me, yet I will be confident. Now, what makes this kind of interesting is the one who wrote this. This is David. And if you know just even the slightest things about David, you know that David was certainly no stranger to danger. He was no stranger to fearful situations, even from the time he was a boy. You remember the story of, you know, as a teenager, how he took a one-on-one battle against Goliath and won. And before that, when he was... Uh, giving his resume, so to speak. He talked about how he, by his own hands, had killed the lion and the bear. I mean, David, you know, he's a strong, tough guy. Uh, and and in, if Psalm 27 was written before David actually became king or ascended to the throne, uh, remember Saul was pursuing him, uh, David had with him a tough bunch of, of men that were there to defend him. Uh, if the psalm was written during the time when his son Absalom was rebelling against the throne, remember he had a son that wanted to challenge his authority against the throne, uh, he would have had seasoned warriors around him as a king uh, to defend him against Absalom. So, it would have it been easy for David… When he wrote Psalm 27 in verse 1 through 3, it would have been easy for David to boast in his own strength. He was a strong guy. He was surrounded by an arsenal, you know, depending on the context. But notice what he does. Instead, he affirms his defense, his trust is in the Lord alone. Psalm 27.1 in the New Living translation says, the Lord, or Yahweh, is my light and my salvation. So why should I be afraid? Yahweh is my fortress, protecting me from danger, so why should I tremble? Do you see what he's doing there? And that's what what we are encouraged to do, that in some of you that are gripped with fears of, again, fill in the blanks, Are you affirming the Lord and the Lord's sovereignty over your life and situation? That's what David's doing here. And see, that's the reason that that's so important is because we have a tendency of self-reliance, don't we? We have a tendency because of the fall that we, we can just handle everything. We can take care of everything because of the fall that tendency to trust in ourselves, to trust in our own ability instead of affirming, God, I trust you. Yes, this situation seems to be uh, beyond anything, but I am affirming my trust in you and you alone. And it's a humble thing when we confess our utter dependency upon God's strength, especially in the midst of a fearful situation that we may face. See, this is why the gospel is so crucial at all points to our understanding, because the gospel in its very essence is given to us because we cannot rely on ourselves. Remember Ephesians 2:8 and 9, for it is by grace that you've been saved through faith, and this is not of your own doing, it is the gift of God not a result of works so that no one may boast. Everything that we have, even the faith to believe, is a gift from God. So that's why, again, David, the strong, resourceful, reliant man, doesn't trust in himself, but what does he do? He affirms that, God, you are my light and my salvation. So maybe you're in a situation or an ongoing situation or maybe just the surrounding noise and issues going on in our culture. Let me encourage you, first of all, to affirm that God is in control of your life. I mean, affirm that. Say, God, you're in charge. I'm not going to be victimized. I'm not going to be hindered uh, this is beyond anything I can handle or do, but God, I affirm that you are my light, you are my life, and you are my salvation. You see, the reason that that's important and the reason I tied it with our salvation is because if God has saved us, do you not think he knows well how to protect us and to watch over us? Isn't that what Dave, or Paul said? and we know in Romans 8:28 and we know that for those who love God all things work together for good for those who are called according to his purpose. So we can affirm the goodness of God. We can affirm God in times of fear. But notice secondly in Psalm 27 a second observation and that is the believers attention in times of fear. Not just our affirmation, but our attention in times of fear. Where do we focus in our moments of panic, in our moments of fear? In verse 4, we encourage to seek the Lord in that time of fear. Focus on Him. Notice what David says in verse 4. One thing, one thing have I asked of the Lord that will I seek after, that I may dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life. Notice the language here, to gaze upon the beauty of the Lord. Man, is that too feminine for you? David was anything but feminine, wasn't he? He was a strong, tough guy. And yet, he says, I want to gaze upon the beauty of Yahweh and to inquire in his temple. Now, if we had written verse 4 in the moment or the midst of our fearful situation, we wouldn't have said, one thing I've asked of the Lord is that I may dwell in the house of the Lord. We'd say, one thing I've asked of the Lord is to get me out of here. Help, right? That's why we would have prayed that prayer. But don't miss this. This is one of those things that I've read many times, as you have too, and I don't want us to just gloss over this. Don't miss that David is praying for deliverance, but David realizes that the only deliverance that matters comes not from the absence of trouble, but from drawing near to God. Do you see that? When he says that I may dwell in your house. Speaking in verse 4 about the temple, the place in the, under the Old Testament setting that God's presence was known among the nation of Israel. David isn't just praying for an escape from his troubles, but listen, he is praying that in, in the midst of his fear, he's saying, God I want a deeper experience relationship of knowing you. That the fear, you want to hear the fear factor? The fear, David says, let that be the vehicle that drives me deeper into who you are. That's true about any situation. God, is this going to drive me deeper into knowing you? Is this going to be the thing where I say, you know what? This is finally God has met his match. The bill, the sickness, whatever it is, God, has, this, God can't handle this. Or I'm saying, God, yes, when my heart is overwhelmed, where am I going to go? I'm going to go to the rock that is higher than I. Am I going to allow the fear, the anxiety, whatever it is, to drive me deeper into God? or am I going to allow it to drive me further away from God? I, uh, one of the lessons of getting older in life is seeing how, as a Christian, let me say it this way, one of the lessons as a Christian of getting older chronologically and cer- certainly growing older in God, is over time seeing how my circumstances, my disappointments, unfulfilled dreams, hurts, how they have pressed me, how God has allowed these things that have pressed me further into the only one that can bring me the true joy and contentment that my heart yearns for. No career choice, no house, no raise, no spouse, as wonderful as our spouses are. Nothing, nothing, except the one that we were made and created exclusively for. You see, that's the, we've talked about this, that's the subtle deception of idolatry it isn't that we're chasing after some you know some figure of you know some structure of a false god or anything idolatry at its very basic definition is anything that supplants your affections for god are y'all awake today okay anything that supplants your affections for god and so The older I get, and I look back at the disappointments, the failures, all those things, they do one or two things. They drive you into that deeper dependency of who God is, or some, unfortunately, have driven a wedge of separating them from God. You know, I think of Joseph. I always talk about Joseph. Joseph. I mean, if anybody could have just said, God, I gave up on you in prison, you know. But what could he say towards the end there of Genesis when he looked at his brothers and he says, what you meant for evil. I'm going to choose to focus on God in this situation, and God meant it for good, right? I think Paul kind of Caught, caught this when he wrote Philippians 4, familiar, when he said in Philippians 4, 11 through 13, not that I am speaking of being in need, for I have learned in whatever situation I am, I am to be content. I know how to be brought low, and I know how to abound. In any and every circumstance, By the way, you know he's writing in this from jail or house arrest, but he's in prison basically. He says, in any and every circumstance, present included, he says again, secondly, I have learned the secret of facing plenty and hunger, abundance and need. And here he goes. Here's not only just his affirmation, but this is where he turns his attention in times... He says, I can do all things through him, through him, through him, through him who strengthens me. Paul says, I can do all things because I am not held captive to my circumstances. Some of you are captive to your circumstances. Oh, you come up for air every once in a while, but you are captive to your circumstances. Instead of saying, God, I'm going to trust you. I'm going to direct my attention that this circumstance, this situation, I am going to choose for this to be the vehicle that I press into you in a deeper, more committed way. And I'm not going to allow this in any way to somehow separate me. If anything, devil... I'm, this is going to drive me deeper into my relationship with God. What you meant for evil, to think that you could bring my, in my path to separate me, no, nope, won't do it, because it's actually going to drive me further in my confidence in God. Does anybody need that besides me today? Who shall separate you? from the love of God in Christ Jesus. In, verse, in chapter 27, while we're on the same point about the believer's attention, notice where David, in verses 4, 5, and 6, notice where David focused his attention in the midst of his fear. The presence of God, verse 4, One thing I have asked of the Lord that I may seek, I may dwell in the house of the Lord. He's talking about that presence of God. We sung about that. We talked about that. The presence of God. This was not, this was relationship. You can't read the Psalms and come away with somebody who's just writing abstract theological treatises. This is someone who was intimately acquainted with God. That's what God desires for us relationship, the presence of God. I'm going to focus on the presence of God. Verse 5, I'm going to focus on the protection of God. For God will hide me in his shelter in the day of trouble. We could just stop right there, couldn't we? For he will hide me in his shelter in the day of trouble. He will conceal me under the cover of his tent. He will lift me high upon a rock. And I think this is where sometimes we, we miss it. Because God's protection is not necessarily always the absence of suffering. Right. Well, that was good, Pam. I'm going to say that again. God's protection does not mean, it can, but does not mean the absence of suffering and hardship I may mean, my goodness pick who you want in the bible and ask them if that's their experience peter paul i mean is you see it's often what happens is that god's protection is in the midst of my suffering and trial it's not a verdict Of God's love, whether I am delivered from this situation or whatever it is, no, the verdict has already been settled. That God, the Lord, is my light and my life. Isn't that what the one Psalm that we probably won't cover because it's so familiar? I just was Psalm twenty-three. Remember in verse four, even though I what walk. Through the valley of of the shadow of death, I will what? Fear. I will fear no evil. Why? For you, you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. David affirmed the presence of God, the protection of God, and that led, verse 6, to praise to God when he said in verse 6, and now my head shall be lifted up above my enemies all around me, and I will offer in his tent sacrifices with shouts of joy. I will sing. It's almost like, again, and we'll look at this a little later, it's like he, again, when I say he's talking to himself, I'm not talking about some psychobabble, I'm just saying, he's telling his self, I will sing. We'll sing. Not because I feel like it. You see, so many people come to church whether they feel like it. They wait until Sunday morning about 30, 9 o'clock to decide, do I feel like it? But instead of saying, you know what, I need to be with other brothers and sisters. I need to be in an atmosphere of worship. Can I worship at home? Yeah do you? Well, good, good. But that's not a substitute for the gathered community of believers. That's that's not a substitute. We should worship whether we're in church, out, you know. But there's something about being among the corporate gathering of God's people. The Bible says, do not neglect the gathering together, the meeting together. Why? Why? Because there's something that happens that the Holy Spirit has blessed in the church. And I'm not about the physical presence of the people that compose the church, not the building. Let's just to keep the rain off our heads. It's you, the body of believers, that we come together to worship God and that we draw the encouragement and strength, not only from listening to those engaged with God, but we encourage one another when we bless and talk to each other, encourage, hey, haven't seen you in a few weeks. How are you doing? Well, you know, here's what's been going on. Oh, let me pray for you. Can I help you with that? Maybe we can get together for lunch. Maybe we can... There's something that happens that God has blessed in the body. And when you separate yourself from that, you separate yourself... From one of the means that God has blessed to enrich and disciple our lives. And there's something about the praise, the engagement. David is saying, if I could say it this way, I will engage the Lord in worship. Not because I feel like it, not because I'm in the mood. But I will engage the Lord. I will sing. I will sing and make melody to the Lord. You know why? Because that praise and that worship, God has made us and created us for worship. I think about Paul and Silas. Paul and Silas got thrown in jail for preaching the gospel. And in Acts 16, verse 23, it says that when the officials there in Philippi verse 23, when they had been, when they had inflicted many blows upon them, Paul and Silas beat them, they threw them into prison, ordering the jailer to keep them safely. And then you look down a few verses later in verse 25 that here they are chained up in jail. And it says about midnight, Paul and Silas were doing what? They were praying and singing hymns to God. Where were they worshiping God? In the midst, in the midst of their hardship, in the midst of their suffering. But as you read the Psalm 27, you'll notice as you look at verses 1 through 6, you see again something that to me encourages me because David was a realist. You see in verses one through six, then when you come to verse seven, it's like you see kind of a shift and you see as though that David's confidence in verses one through six, as you look at verse seven through the end, it's almost like he kind of reshifts back into this struggle with this, this, this propensity towards anxiety or fear because, again, we find him, again, redirecting his focus to the Lord. And I thought, isn't that really the way we are? We, we go through a victory where we're feeling great. We got God confidence. And then we find ourselves back where? Sludging it in the valley again. And what do we do? We lift, trust God, and we're out of the valley. Ooh, okay, good. And then what do we do? We go along for a while, and then where do we find ourselves back in? We're back in the valley. Does that mean we're not saved? Huh? No, that's the experience of the Christian life. You see, if this was just kind of a formula, get it down, you'll never have any problems. It doesn't work that way, guys. It doesn't work that way. It is a day-to-day, week-by-week, month-by-month physical combat of the Christian life of trusting and relying on God. So when he says he comes to verse, when he comes down to this second part, he's affirmed the goodness of God. He's affirmed God in the midst of his fear. He's given that attention to the presence and protection and praise to God. When we come to the third observation in Psalm 27, David helps us by showing us the believer's approach the believer's approach in times of fear. What do we mean by approach? When fear returns, and it will, when fear returns, it'll be in different packages and different forms, and it'll have a different haircut, and it'll look differently, but it finds its way back through the window, as we say, right? Because we live in a fallen world, when fear returns, what is, what is David's counsel here in the Word of God? We are to seek the Lord by, again, redirecting our focus to the Lord. How? In prayer. The last time, a couple of weeks ago in Psalm 5, we talked about prayer. The Psalms are just full of prayer. Prayer is our communicating to God, our speaking to God, our relationship with God. And here's some things in verse 7 through 12 that I hope, whether you're taking notes or just mark these in the margins of your Bible, that I think can be, as they have been helpful to me, principles of prayer. But principles of prayer specifically around this idea or this theme of overcoming fear. So look, look at verse, verse 7. The first one is, I will not fear fear coming to God in prayer with my need. I will not fear coming to God in prayer with my need. Verse 7, hear, hear, O Lord, when I cry aloud, be gracious to me and answer me. Again, total dependence. We don't have to fear that we can't bring our need before God. Sometimes we think, Oh, God is just concerned about the big things. Really? Is there, any, is there really any big thing to God? Is anything a big thing to God? Really? Oh, that's a big one to God. Really? Name it. There's no big things to God. He wants us to come to Him and our, our need, and I don't have to fear coming to God as His child, as His son. I don't have to fear coming to Him with my need. David says, Hear, O Lord, When I cry aloud, be gracious to me and answer me. I don't want my children to ever fear or worry that they cannot bring their need to me, their father. As I used to tell them, I said, I might get upset, but you can always bring whatever is bothering you, whatever the need is, to me. Well, I'm glad God is not bound by those kind of human emotions or he's going to get upset and mad. But he deals with us as a father, deals with his children. And so we bring those situations that, yes, those situations that God has even allowed us to get into, maybe because we think, you know, well, I've tried everything else, so I guess I'll pray. No, God wants us to continually not just say, well, I'm going to come to God for those things that I feel that I can't handle. You can't handle anything without him. Colossians 1.17 says that he holds all things, including our life, together. Imagine what would happen if God were to let go. No, my dependency is totally upon him. And that's why I don't have to fear coming to God in prayer with my need, confessing this fear, confessing this worry Confessing this sense of being overwhelmed, that God, I am not sufficient to handle this. I can't handle this. I need you. Prayer flows and really is a barometer of our dependency upon Him. But not only will I not fear coming to God in prayer with my need, but also, secondly, in this approach to God, I will not fear coming to God because He is gracious. He is gracious. God is a God of grace. Also in verse 27, be gracious to me and answer me. Be gracious to me. David didn't say, answer me because I deserve it. You know, there's some that kind of have this mindset that you you just snap your fingers and make these demands with God. No, we come to God to hear me, to answer me because God is gracious. The Bible says it's not, again, it's not because I deserve it. It's because Christ has given it to us as a gift. If God should count our iniquities, the psalmist said in Psalm 130, verse 3, if He should count our sins, who could even stand? So the only way to approach God is through His Son, Jesus Christ, through the abundant grace and mercy shown to us. But also in my approach To God, I will not fear coming to God in prayer. Now, don't miss this. I will not fear coming to God in prayer because He, He alone is what I need. See, that's where we often, again, we often miss it. That I think, God, you just need to change this circumstance. I think you just need to give me a better place to live. You need to let me pastor Well, I won't say that. Uh, But God, I was just seeing some of you all are awake, okay? We're going to make you stand up and do the hokey pokey, all right? Do you remember what the hokey pokey is? All right, turn yourself around. All right, all right. Don't tempt me. Don't tempt me. You see, if God could just rectify and do this, then that would be the answer to all my problems and needs. But here's the deal. Those things happen in our life, and guess what? We're back at square one, It hadn't changed anything. You know why? Because we're trying to fill, as we talked about with Paul, we're trying to fill that contentment with everything except the only one that we were made for, and that's him. And so I will not fear coming to God in prayer because my, my fears become that vehicle, as I said, that drive me to remind me that God is what I need. I need more of him. Not more of the stuff that's going to burn up and disappear. My brother who passed, one of my brothers who passed away in January, my uh, niece sent me a, he had a large three-story house, had an elevator, lots of stuff. And uh, they had an estate sale, so she sent me a link showing me all the, and uh, and I was just amazed at all this stuff. Now, he knew the Lord, and he used his money to serve the kingdom. But all this stuff, all the meticulous detail that my brother gave to the house and the paintings and the furniture and all this stuff, it's just stuff that some stranger's going to come into your house, which would freak him out if he knew that. But they're just going to come into your house And give you bottom basement dollar for that thing you have hauled around across the country. You waited with bated breath from Amazon for them to deliver it. And someday some strangers are going to come in. And for pennies on the dollar, take your junk and it will be their junk. That's the way we live life. Just think that the accumulation and all this stuff, but it doesn't substitute that the real need of my life is I need God so desperately. And the sad thing is I don't think I totally get it at times. Do you? Do you really get it? I think if we really got it, we wouldn't have, have half the, some of the struggles that we have. You see, idols will always prove to be undependable. They have always will pay you in counterfeit money, good for nothing. But what do we do? We still keep looking to them to bail us out, help us out. Instead of saying, God, overwhelmed with life right now. And I may think, here's what needs to be done. But Lord, show me that what needs to be done in my life, before all this, is I just I need, I need to know you. I, I don't need just to know you in a theological, abstract construct, but I need that intimacy, that presence. You see, notice, notice what he says in verse 8. David says, You, speaking to the Lord, you have said, quote, seek my face. My heart says to your face, Lord, do I seek. When we seek something, we're 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 seek, we're searching it out. We're, 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 we're searching it to find. And the wonderful thing is is that God is a God who desires to be found. He invites us to seek his face. And when we talk about seeking his face, his face which you see time and time again in the Old Testament, it implies to seek his face implies intimacy with God. You ever be talking to somebody and they're not looking at you or they're looking down? And you do what? Maybe with your children. Don't do it with strangers. That, But you're, you say, hey, look at me. Lift your, look at me face to face. There's something personal. Have you ever, uh, some of you have gone to, and maybe this is, <laughs> I'm probably confessing, not too much. You go to a marriage conference, you know, and then they for about five minutes want you to stare at each other's face. I hate that. That's why I don't like going to marriage conferences. Just stare at you. You know, because we'll start laughing after about 10 seconds, right? But you, know, you understand the exercise, right? Right? There's something about that intimacy. And don't start psychoanalyzing me. I know I'm a mess. All right? So, but, but I, you get the, the, the picture there. That you will seek my face. But see, we're not seeking his face. You know what we're doing? We're seeking his hands. What can you do for me, God? What can you provide for me? We're good at seeking the hands of God. But do we seek him? Do we seek him in intimacy? That I just can be satisfied with him. Not what he does for me. Remember Romans three? I've said this before. It says there are none who seek after God. Like, oh, that's the history of human race. Everybody's looking for God. They're looking for a God. They're not looking for the God. They want a God whose hands supply them with all the things that they, they want. They need but they don't want the God. They're not seeking Him. And sometimes as believers who who are born again, sometimes we fall back in that pattern where we want, we seek God and what He can do and what He can give instead of just the fact that I can be content with knowing and having this relationship with Him. Because sometimes, and maybe more so with men, that whole idea of that intimacy with God is, is, is kind of foreign or fearful. But God knows you already. Do you really think there's anything that God is going to learn about you? Think about it. Jared, is there anything God's going to learn about you that He already knows? No. Psalm 139 says, All of our days are written out even before there was none of them. He has fearfully and wonderfully made us. The Bible says that he has woven us together while we were yet in our mother's womb. Do you really think you're going to surprise him with something in your life or thought in your life? But yet... It says in verse 5 through 6 of Psalm 24, the NIV says they will receive blessing from the Lord and vindication from God their Savior, such as the generation of those who seek Him, who seek your face. Jeremiah twenty-nine thirteen, God said, and you will seek me and find me when you search for me with all your heart. Psalm 105, verse 4, Look to the Lord and His strength. Seek His face always. And the last of this approach is I will not fear coming to God in prayer because I can trust His will for my life. Now I know probably other churches in our community have this issue, but... We don't want to pray because we are maybe afraid of what God will say. I don't want to ask for God's will because, you know, God just he wants to just mess up your life. He'll make you marry somebody ugly and travel somewhere you don't want to live, right? He's just existing to mess you up. Really? What a, what a distorted, crazy view of God. God's will is perfect and joyful and safe. Do you hear what I'm saying? And so I will not fear coming to God in prayer because what is connected to all this is obedience. Prayer is linked to our obedience, especially, especially, don't miss this. You see, it's in those times of trials. It's in those seasons where we're overwhelmed and fear is coming in like a flood. You know, that's when... I make some of my dumbest decisions. Well, that's good, Pastor. I'm glad you're the only one that does it. Right? Because what do you do? You panic. You do something. You make a decision. Because guys, maybe more so with men, but we're fix-it. Well, we'll just, we'll just do the, call this guy. You know, we're going to have this wrapped up by lunch. What does the psalmist say, verse 11 and 12? Psalm, David, in this thought of, I will not fear coming to God in prayer because I can trust His will for my life. He says what? Teach me your way. Teach me your way, O Lord, and lead me on a level path because of my enemies. Give me not up to the will of my adversaries, and I would say, including me, For false witnesses have risen against me, and they breathe out violence. You see, David had a teachable heart. David was aware that it's easy to get off track, to get into a mess. When you're under attack, when you're overwhelmed by fear, it's easy to make the wrong choice, to hit the panic button, right? The psalmist said, I have hidden your word in my heart that I might not sin against you. You see, that's where the value of the word of God, of knowing God, knowing God's ways, being trained in righteousness so that our thinking is held captive to the word of God and not the circumstances. You know, I was thinking this morning as I was looking over my notes, the only time in my life, even besides the things that have happened the last few years with the uh, heart attack, was that I actually came, feared losing my life, was I was uh, in Jamaica, and at the conclusion of a missions trip there, we were there for several weeks, and we went uh, swimming out in the ocean, and a lot of the friends and people I was with, they were out on this sandbar, and so... I was swimming and and they were like, hey, you know, they're out there on the sandbar just chilling, whatever. And uh, so I started to swim out there. And the more I swam, the further that doggone sandbar, they were pulling, that thing got further away until I was getting tired. And I was in way, way over my head. And I, for a moment, knew... I was in trouble. Now, it didn't help that my mother had some bad dream before I left on this mission trip, and, and that's going. I'm like, "Thanks, Mom, for you know that crazy thing, right? But I knew I was in trouble, and I knew that I was too tired because I just thought, "Oh, I'll just keep doing it." But you know what happened? Obviously, something happened because I'm here, right? I knew how to swim. And I knew how to get out of those situations. And you know what I did? I got on my back, because I could always swim on my back. And I could relax. I calmed down, and I just swam back to shore. I wasn't going out on that sandbar. But you know what I did? I relied on what I knew in the moment of panic because if I didn't I probably would have drowned but I relied on what I was taught to do you see situations will come what are, you, are you relying on what you've been trained and know of what God says teach me your ways the psalmist says in the New King James, verse thirteen and fourteen, he says, and the reason I have the New King James is they have, and if you see this in italics in your Bible, you, your translation uh, NIV and ASV, and it's not unusual some of them translate them a little differently. But anytime you see something in italics, it just means it's not in the original, but the thought is in the original, at least the translators. But but I thought this was. He said, the psalmist says, I would have lost heart. I would have lost heart. I would have drowned. Unless I had had believed that I would see the goodness of the Lord. Can you say that as your testimony? As I look back at some of those moments, I I would have drowned. Unless... knew God. Unless I had believed and relied on the unshakable truth that cannot be shaken. Listen. I was thinking about the fears that we are just inundated. I was thinking the last maybe 20 years. Listen to some of these fears that were To be the end all, be and be all. Back in 2000, what was the big fear? Y2K. Y2K. That's going to destroy everything. Some of y'all are still eating some of that dried soybean you stocked up on. 2001, anthrax is going to kill us all. 2002, West Nile virus. That's going to do it. 2003, SARS. That's going to do it. That's going to kill us all. 2005, the bird flu is going to kill us all. 2006, E. coli E. coli, is going to kill us all. 2008, the financial collapse. That's going to do it. 2009, swine flu. Yep, there, here we go. That's it. 2012, that Mayan calendar. Here we go. It predicts the world's ending. 2013, North Korea, hmm, they're going to cause World War III. 2014, Ebola virus is going to kill us all. 2015, ISIS, they're on our doorstep. They're going to kill us all. 2016, Zika virus. Remember the Zika virus? I don't. That's going to kill us all. 2020, uh, do I even need to go there? It's always something. It will always be something. But there's one thing that cannot be shaken. The kingdom. The kingdom of God. You see, Jesus said it this way. We'll close with this. Seek first the kingdom of God and His righteousness. What is that? That's seeking His face. Seeking Him. Seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness and all these things. What things? Read above chapter 6 of Matthew. Clothing, food, all the stuff. All these things will be added unto you. I have found that instead of seeking the hand of God, his power, his strength, I seek his face, I seek his presence and the power of And the provision follow when I get that priority right.